Welcome into another episode of a Quick Timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you have yet to visit Dr. Dish Basketball and specifically the blog section there, you're missing out really on a lot of great content. I have for you there some drills that you can work with your your team with. You'll find a diagram, you'll find explanations of the drill, and you'll find a video of the drill too. To find those, simply visit drdishbasketball.com and click on blog from the drop-down menu. Again, that's drdishbasketball.com. Joining us today is the head women's basketball coach for the Richmond Spiders, Aaron Russell. Coach, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Tony, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. We're going to be airing this at the beginning, closer to the beginning of the season. And so with that in mind, I wanted to kind of walk through a little bit, kind of this idea of practice planning. So with basketball season right around the corner, I I thought it'd be good for us to talk about practice planning and how you finalize those, those thoughts and kind of plan out what those practices will look like. I know some coaches have been doing this for years and it's just kind of the same thing over and over, but I know for a lot of you out there, you're either building as a young coach or you're wanting to change things around a little bit. So where we want to start today, coach, kind of at the end and work our way backwards in this conversation. Let me start with this. If you can remember back to this past year, a great practice, something that you would you a practice, maybe you consider to be great for whatever reason. And then also a poor, poor practice. And then kind of talk about what do you think made the first one great and what made the second one poor? Uh, I don't know if there's always a science behind it, uh, but I, I will say, you know, I, I think that first practice of the year, sometimes maybe the first practice after uh, after a, a holiday break, or maybe you've given your kids a day uh, or an extra day off here or there. I do feel like there's kind of a, re- a rejuvenation, uh, maybe a new energy uh, in there when I think your kids are just excited to practice, you know, and, and I think we all know that there's sometimes during the year where maybe they're not as excited to practice. I think the other part with that, quite honestly, is I think we as coaches sometimes have to take a look at ourselves, you know, and I think there's definitely times you're like, oh, maybe this wasn't uh, the best practice. And you think back to your preparation and maybe think back to other things you had going on or maybe you uh, spent more time on the scout uh, that day and and felt like you had to rush practice. There's definitely times where I'm like, we suck today. And then you look back and you're like, yeah, I guess I kind of sucked uh, prepping this practice and just wasn't wasn't maybe uh, as good. So some of those happen, you know, if you have a, a Friday night practice and you're trying to get an, uh, an early morning Saturday practice, sometimes those can be can be tough, you know, just from an energy standpoint or maybe depending on what they lifted the day before. But I think it probably goes into the the same thing too, right? The, the, the least amount of prep they have sometimes coincides the least amount of prep you have. And uh, I just firmly believe that sometimes we as coaches, if we did not prep or do the practice well enough, that uh, whether it's a karma or, or whether it's just kind of what, getting what you deserve, uh, those have been probably the ones that I've had to reassess uh, a little bit afterwards. It's just such a dynamic practices themselves are dynamic and even the flow of how something is going and it can feel like it's a good practice. And then all of a sudden, maybe something happens that's completely out of your control or something like you said, the schedule or the, the time of day or a test that a kid's taken or whatever, and just being aware to those things. Um, do you feel, you know, you talked about the not necessarily being a science to it. Do you feel like poor practices can be avoided at least? Yeah. I mean, I think been doing this for a long time and, you know, 17 years of practice. I don't ever go back and, and copy an old practice. I know I've kept every practice we've ever done, but I, I very rarely probably go back to it. So I, maybe if I do a little more science as far as this was a great practice, that was a great practice. I, I think a lot of this has to do with the interactions with, with you and, and your players. You know, I think quite honestly, you know, sometimes we get out of them and it's like, oh, they didn't have the energy. And it's like, well, why didn't you eat? 
you know, why didn't you eat? Why didn't you do this? Or I'm still sore from yesterday's practice and or yesterday's lift. And then sometimes you're like, well, you know, maybe I'm just a little ornery today. I didn't eat, you know, or I didn't do the things or I had different things on my mind. Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, we're, we're quick to, to blame our parents or our, our parents, our players for some of this stuff. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of times you kind of have to look at, at yourself and, you know, I also feel like sometimes getting into practice, if you're just as a coach rolling into practice and just starting, some of those times you're coming from a meeting or coming, you're trying to, to squeeze a few things in there before practice. If the first thing they're hearing from you is, you know, why didn't you get through that ball screen or why didn't you get through this? And you're just coaching. I, I think that can be a mistake. I think we, we, you don't want to make it too social uh, before practice, but I think sometimes what they're doing their stretch or they're doing some of the other things, it's, you don't want them to lose focus, but asking them about a test they had or asking them about something. Um, you know, we maybe a little bit new school. We, we have music going a lot during practice and sometimes a different song comes in there and we can give them a hard time about, you know, what is this noise? You know, that, that's a, I think they, they hate that when I hear when they hear that from me. And maybe I'm getting older, but what is this noise you got on there today? Or if it's an older song, you know, it kind of leads into, hey, I was in. So my, it was my sophomore year in college when, when this song came out. Just something social so you can get some interaction. So now when you're say, having to correct or do some other things, you know, they, they've kind of built that relationship even for that particular day with you as well. How do you better your chances of starting off practice as well? Is it just the social interactions or are there drills or is there kind of like we just go right away? Or what have you found to be helpful? Yeah. Uh, again, maybe doing this for a while and, and doing this when I, when I first started, it was like you had to do the basics, you had to do the fundamentals, you had to do all the boring stuff. You had to do that every practice. And I think there's still a component to that, but I, I, I've been really big on you have to have something that, that makes it loud at the beginning of practice, something full of energy. And, and, and even at our level, something just more of a team dynamic, you know, so we'll do a couple different things, different shooting drills where it's not necessarily competitive. I think competitive can be good and has to happen during practice. But I think early, just kind of almost a, a team building, you know, and, and we arrive. I, I firmly believe that, you know, every practice is like an opportunity to build your team and, and an opportunity to bond with your team. You know, we, we do a couple to a Yukon drill. It's a transition, a transition layup and transition three drill. And we know what the standard is. We, we It's the one drill. I know coaches say we do this drill every day. It's the one thing that we absolutely do every day in practice. And we keep a record of that. You know, early in the season, it might be, hey, our target's 105. We're keeping our record for every time we go 105 or, hey, hey, guys, we got seven in a row or God forbid we, we've lost two days in a row. We really got to get this. And it kind of builds the team and, and kind of gets them going towards a collective goal, which I think is, is big. And it forces them to talk, forces them to count, forces them to be loud. And I think sometimes, especially when you win that day, it kind of boosts you into, into something else. And, um, you know, again, whether it's just different fundamentals, I, I think you kind of have to do some energy and fun things. I hate to say the word fun, but it's, it's true. Practice cannot be a drag. There needs to be some fun things, especially early in practice. Keep going backwards. So let's keep kind of reverse here. So the planning of going into that practice and what you do for yourself and then what you do as a staff together. Can you kind of walk us through that planning for an individual practice? Yeah, I think different staffs maybe have different levels of involvement with the whole thing of practice. You know, I, I, I will say with our practice, I, I always make sure there's a component that some, you know, our staff has something that they're going to be vocal during practice, whether that's a position breakdown or a press break. Hey, Brittany, you got this one today. Something so they can kind of feel involved. Different voices are heard but besides mine. I think they know going into every day. 
just about every day, you know, we'll have some sort of position breakdown, you know, and we don't do a lot with positions, but some sort of skills breakdown that I'd say 90, 95% of the time I'm checking in to maybe hear what they're doing, but otherwise they know they've got that and that's kind of their show. Hey, you know, maybe we're talking as a group saying, hey, this scout coming up, let's make sure we're all focusing on this or all working on something with this ball screen defense. But I, I think a lot of it just starts with me kind of clearing my head, hopefully if I can with the door shut and, and just my time. Usually early in the morning, it's writing notes, thinking it through. Sometimes those notes may have started during yesterday's practice. You know, I'm jotting stuff down during practice on the practice plan, circling things maybe we didn't get to, writing notes on things we didn't do well. And that's kind of, that's kind of the, the basis for where I start practice that next day. I don't know if this is the most efficient thing that I do, but I kind of started almost as a draft. Mm. Put it as a draft. I hate to say not, but kind of put the framework in there. Step away. Maybe it's getting a little bit deeper into something we're going to learn or something we're going to do that day. If there's a scouting component, watching that, and then coming back to it, fine-tuning, putting all of that stuff in there, uh, and then kind of making it as a, as a final draft. But I think that goes back into it, Tony, of just the preparation. You know, I think we – Maybe there's a love-hate relationship with, with me and practice planning. It is one of the, if not the most important thing that I do. But at the same point, it is time intensive. And I think the ones going back to it, the, the best practices you realize that you've probably practiced in your head already through that. You've, you've, you've gone through that. Uh, and, and it just, it takes time, you know, and, and there's a lot of other things that are on our plates, but I think it just comes back to bite you. If you're really not putting that true time into the practice plan. I usually get the question, like, how long does it take? And I think to your point, like the veteran coaches, and if you love it, it you're just like thinking about it. And yes. if you find yourself too busy with, you said, like you said, the other stuff that kind of encroaches upon being a coach or especially a head coach, you end up, your team suffers from the, at the practice the next day because you don't necessarily have the time to think, think through it. I like to the, the jotting the stuff down. I, I started doing that this last year and I felt like it led to more continuity within the week. I don't know if that's, if you found that to be the case, but a lot For of times, sure. you know, with like younger coaches, we're so excited about like planning a practice and the next day we want to get to our next list of things and our next list of things. And if you look back over the last five days, you end up with just like five could be decent practices, but it's just like random things. I don't know if you ever found For that. Sure. I think there has to be some continuity from day to day. And, and I think the, the weeks, especially early in the season, I mean, I think as you do this, your 30 practices, your 30 preseason, it sounds crazy, I know, to, to people that are on the college level, but 30 practices doesn't seem like enough before that first game. You kind of have to map out the different things that you're doing the first seven or eight, the next seven or eight. What are you trying to get to? And then I was a journalism major, so it's always deadlines. You know, we have to know this by this deadline. We have to have this in, in store by then and in place by then. So, so there is a lot of that. And I think especially early in the season, it, yes, we have to move forward, but it if your day four practice plan isn't doing some things that you're doing in day three, that's a lot of new stuff. And that's, you know, maybe forgetting things in practice three and then all of a sudden day seven, like there, there's no build to that. I think there has to be, in order for there to be continuity, you have to think a little bit further down the road. I, I never, I, and I will never plan a practice three days in advance. You know, we'll have different ideas, but I don't start that next practice plan until we finish with with the with the previous one um, but i think you kind of have to have some ideas there has to be some long term to this as well a quick timeout podcast is sponsored by three on three hoops hub if you're a basketball coach looking to grow your program 
raise funds for your program, or build your basketball business, you're going to want to check out what 3-on-3 Hoops Hub can do for you. 3-on-3 Hoops Hub has run over 353-on-3 basketball leagues for thousands of kids since 1997 and is helping coaches all across the country do the same. 3-on-3 basketball is the ideal format for players to get more opportunities, work on all skills and positions, and have fun playing competitive basketball with their friends. You can bring 3-on-3 to your community and do it like an expert by learning from the best 3-on-3 Hoops Hub free training. To find out more and get access to the training, simply click the training.3on3hoopshub.com QTO link in the show notes below. Uh, you brought it up with the assistant coaches. Can you speak to a little bit more like their roles within the practice it, itself? You talked about the player breakdowns. Uh, too, when I talk to high school coaches, like they don't, you don't have the luxury of having A, the number of people that you have on a college staff. But in addition to that, my players, the first year where I was the main assistant, there were segments that I actually took that the coach gave to me to have, and they were almost confused, like, what's he talking, right? And why is he talking right now? Like, the head coach should be the one that's telling us what to do. Are we? And they were looking to him like, are you okay with this? <laughs> so how do you involve your assistants and maybe explain to the roles that yeah. they have? And you said, it's why I had you on here. I, I wanted a, a veteran coach to talk about this because you've seen this and practiced this and refined this over the years. And I'm guessing even your assistant's role and what they do has been refined through the years as well. Yeah. And, and, and I've been very fortunate to, to have a lot of great staffs. This current staff we have is the same staff that I had back at Bucknell and now at Richmond. So there's a lot of continuity. I think our players knew that, see that. I think they see how well we get along. And so I think, you know, all of those guys are an extension of me and, all of our assistants know that there's nothing out of bounds during practice. If something bothers them, there's there's not a stay in your lane. With regard to so they're free to kind of say whatever they want. They're expected to say what's on their mind. Yeah, they kind of have their, again, going back to not really positions, but kind of positions. They have their kids that maybe they're getting a, a little bit more info to. Maybe those kids are turning to them a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it when it comes to scouting report stuff, our kids know that, you know, leading up to the to leading up to the VCU game, this, you know, Darren may have uh, a lot more of a voice those two days kind of prepping uh, all of those things. I also think as much as we work really well together, I think sometimes you get to the end of a practice or two and you realize that you've all kind of watched the same thing or all kind of focused on the same thing. There may be days where it's like, hey, Brittany, you know, you're in charge of rebounding today. You know, I'm always watching it, but like if they're not boxing out, this is your thing today. And our players know that they can't hide from Coach B today. If you just box out, you don't you don't get that rebound. She's going to she's going to be on about that. And so I think maybe that's something that it's not always the same thing every day. But hey, go ahead and, and take this. And um, I would say we probably do this more than most, or more I think more than most of you know we may be splitting up teams that day, and that is something I think we we do a lot we change up teams a lot there is not a blue team and a red team or a blue team and a gray team our kids try to figure out what i'm doing with uh with how we're splitting up teams each day and who's on which team and why sometimes there's a rhyme or reason to it sometimes there isn't sometimes i think they'd laugh if they heard you know the, the ways that i came up with teams but with, with regard to assistance it might be you know you've you know Brittany, you've got our, our blue team today janine you've got our our gray team and, and you're watching everything with that and i'm not really coaching them per se. I'm kind of watching the, the macro with all of that. I think that gives them a voice. I think that gives them some experience. And honestly, I think it allows our players to see the level of trust and how well we work together. 
as a group. All right, here are some of the kind of one-off more common questions that I get. So maybe a little disjointed here, especially at the beginning of the season, you have your plays, whether it's new play, like brand new for a freshman who's never seen it before, or even a variation of something or reminding of something or new parts of a, of a, a team that's already had a play like that. But how do you go about introducing new plays to your players? That's a great question. I don't know if I if I have this figured out. Um, you know, I think we worked closely with the with, with our men's staff uh, at Bucknell, and and they I loved how they did this. They kind of would would be in their kind of pre practice meeting. They'd watch it on film. They'd draw it up, and they'd come out and five on o it and dummy it, and and then they so they had, they'd seen it, they'd practiced it, and 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 then they kind of got ready for practice. I, I always like that, and maybe we've done that a couple times. I think a lot of times I'm still trying to tweak stuff. You know, if I see something I like, it's, you know, if, if we want to, if I know I like something, maybe we're, I'm in my head, we're putting that in on Wednesday, but I'm usually grabbing one of the teams on Tuesday, drawing it up and just see what it looks like, you know? And then and inevitably you get the question from coach or from the players like, Hey coach, well, what's this play called? What's this? And I'm like, sometimes you make it up and sometimes you're like, yo man, I don't even know if I like this yet. It's just yeah. something I saw, something I thought about. I'm just giving it a look. I want to see it against a defense. Mm-hmm. And so there is some of that where, hey, maybe, and sometimes that even goes the second day. Maybe we've tweaked it and and put that in. And that saves you from putting in something maybe you didn't like. Or you can just kind of, I, I call it, just kind of go to the lab and, mm-hmm. and give things some work. So I think a lot of times it's putting that, putting it in and then without them realizing it. And then maybe that third day or the second day, you grab everybody and be like, hey, this is the thing that we ran with. You know, Kate came off of this and, and, and came off the flare and we slipped this. And so they've kind of seen it, but they didn't really know that they were practicing it there. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if that's the best way to do it. I've liked that. It kind of keeps them guess, guessing. It keeps them engaged. I think it makes them think a little bit more like basketball mm-hmm. players instead of just, this is what coach told me I had to do. This is what coach, they've kind of almost done it without me telling them what they were supposed to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I've even put something in and like you said you watch it and you're like this was not good and i'll just say you know scrap that part of it let's do this instead. Right. or right. i've also found too asking them whether that's asking them hey what do you guys want to call this or asking them what would you rather do you know would you rather curl off this would you rather whatever it is and they almost take ownership a little bit more of it there's several plays in our playbook that and it's theirs i mean they they yeah. end up Recognizing when I can use it and that kind of thing. So I, I think I think that's great because if there's one thing I'm terrible at and one thing I hate is trying to come up with a name for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You, tr- you try to keep it in the same family and try to do right. this. And admittedly, Tony, sometimes those days I'm putting those things in just to buy me another day to try to think of a cool name <laughs> to put that in because I don't know what to call it yet. That's good. How do you incorporate free throw practice into your practices? Oh boy, uh, you might hate me for this. <laughs> I'll bet, and this is going back. We've had some very very good free throw shooting teams. Uh, in uh, both at Bucknell and, and even here that we've improved. I'll bet we practice free throws during practice less than anybody in the country, you know, and I've kind of joked about that, that, you know, and half joked about this, that the more times they see themselves miss free throws, the more times it gets in their head that they've seen and know that they've missed free throws. That being said, I think that's something that it, it's hard to take practice time for free throws. There's only a finite number of baskets and, you know, maybe if it's a break time or, you know, putting them in maybe some game situations, but, I really try to do as many things as we can in game situations. And, and there's, it's, it's hard to simulate that unless it's just, Hey, we're, we're doing three possessions of offense. We're starting with a free throw that maybe we'll do a fair amount, but even that that's one kid shooting free throws. So I think it's probably one of those things that it, 
the expectation, and I know that they do that stuff on their own, we'll still shoot them in game situations in in practice, but we, we don't do it a whole lot. And, and I think this also goes back to, you know, I've been very fortunate to coach at three very high academic schools, and that wasn't by design. I didn't, I didn't go to a high academic school. No offense to other Iowa alums out there, but, you know, being at University of Chicago and uh, a guy that I really admired, uh, Guy Collin, who was at Carleton College in Minnesota. And uh, I remember getting a job and very much overwhelmed. And he said, the last thing you can do at a school like that is to waste their time. You know, you can't go into practice. If, if, something, if a drill takes three minutes, don't call it five. If a drill takes seven, don't call it 15. It, you really have to be efficient. You have to, you have to honor their time commitment. And I think by doing that, inevitably as, practice, as coaches, you're going to get more done in practice too, the more efficient that you are. I, I mean, it's just me. I just don't feel like standing there shooting free throws for 10 minutes at a time is the best, the best use of our time. This is for those that are listening, not for coach, but uh, w- w- the thing that really switched my thinking was back when that UConn team, the most recent one, I believe it was, won the national championship. And they said they did the attribute it to Steve Nash. I'm sure others did, but it's just 30 or 45 second free throws. And it's basically shoot as many as you can in that 30 to 45 seconds. And we use it as going into a water break. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just muscle memory. You know, the the pressure with that is time. How many can I get? Not necessarily under pressure of people sitting and watching. So I know it's different, but it's shooting and, I, you know, the muscle memory that goes with it. It's not like pop a shot or anything, right. but it's, it, it's still faster than probably reps that they would get going up and going through their routine. Yeah. And sometimes, again, it, whether it's a resting time, you know, but it, more individual workouts or group workouts. Mm-hmm you're making two before you're grabbing water, something along those times uh, for sure. But, you know, sometimes too, it's just giving them some challenges of, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, I know you're shooting on your own, but part of your workout, make 25 in a row, make 25 free throws in a row and let me know that you've done that and, and kind of doing that within their workouts. I, I just, our, our time with them is precious. We're, we're working on a lot of other things. I just think those are things that they can do for the most part efficiently on their own. Going to skill work, the balance between block and random practice. How do you, how do you either keep that balance or just say, we don't do this. This is another one of those. I think that high school coaches too, you're at a disadvantage for us at college. We're bringing them in for individual workouts and a lot of time working, you know, one-on-one or small group or that kind of thing. But particularly in practice, what is your balance or what is your, maybe even your ratio or percentage of block to, to random practice? Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking more like the, from the skill development side of sure. it. And, and even, I mean, it could be if you use small sided games, you know, three on three, four on four type stuff, or you just do a lot of five on five or breakdown or on air. Like what does your practice time look like? I'd say a lot of kind of our skill development. I mean, I think that I always say that it has to be a part of every practice. Yeah. And so again, I think going back to that skills breakdown, position breakdown, you're, there is going to be probably like an eight minute segment that we're doing that. Um, some of it can be team, but some of that's more just warm up sort of stuff too. Mm-hmm. I used to probably drive my staff nuts because I was very much the old school of like, nope, we've got to drill this. We have to dummy all these things down. It's a lot of two on two. It's a lot of three on three. We still do that. If, if we're looking and trying to work on something specific, we probably do more five on five stuff in the last five or six years than I did going into that. Um, and and you, know, you talked about the small sided games. I mean, maybe it's, you know, th- we're going to start three on three with this action. Always starting with this action, then we're just going to play, you know, or, 
hey, this this ball screen crack back, and then you're playing from there. But a lot of times we'll do that in the five on five too. You know, I don't like doing a lot of stuff where there isn't a transition. So, you know, it might be what we we do a lot of what we call three possessions or five possessions. And you know, this action, or the, this first possession is starting with this, and then you're you're playing the second and third possession. Um, so I'm. I hate to say dummying it down. Uh, we don't do a lot of five on O, but even that, maybe a little bit more in the last couple of years uh, to, to give into that. But probably going much more as, and probably listening to more podcasts and, and watching and reading stuff, breaking it into more of the small sided games is something that has been a, a much bigger part of our practice. And to be honest, our kids enjoy that. You know, they enjoy the competitive side of it more than the, the quote drill stuff anyway. A lot more reps too for your for players. Sure. And, and more game like. I, I just, Right. The, the more you do this, the more you just realize that if you're trying to be efficient and you're trying to build your team, the more you do that isn't game-like, you, you kind of question the service you're doing to your team, for right. sure. Even those of us at the college level, like we have more time, but still it's not enough. Like you said, like the 30 practices. So how can, how can I play and get them ready for a game with the time that I have? It, it's yeah. all of our problems. Yeah, and it is. And I think sometimes maybe it's just the, the more comfortable or the older you get, you also have to – to be more comfortable with some of that chaos too. You know, I think something you try to justify your existence early in your career, right? Of like, hey, I know this, I have to teach them this, and I gotta control this and make it seem like I know what I'm doing. Sometimes it's like chaos is good. You know, the, the more times that you try to control things, you know, this this is a game that, that kind of is played in the gray. There, there's not a lot of black and white. And, and the more you try to make it black and white in practice, the more you try to tell them what they think they're supposed to do or what they have to do, they get really uncomfortable with the gray. You know, the, the summer workouts that we did. You know, it was a lot more five on five without any direction. And we were just trying to teach basket cuts and this and reading your defense. We did a lot of more five on four, four on three stuff of just realizing, hey, you have an advantage right now. You, you got to play, play with this advantage, do this. And mm -hmm. coach, what am I supposed to do if just just play, right? These are our concepts. This is what I want you thinking about and just play basketball. And I, I think that's maybe uncomfortable it was uncomfortable for us at times I, I think definitely even had some staff members that like we got to give them this we got to give them more direction but i just truly felt that we kind of had to have that chaos happen for their learning and, and kind of their comfort level with that greg how early do you start and how often do you do the end of game when you guys are in the yeah. conference tournament or whatever it, it always feels like man i should have done that more i should have done that mm -hmm. earlier but whether it's a last second play or last whatever you need, ATO or something like that, how early do you start working on those things and how often? Uh, it's a great question and a very fair question. I, I'm going to like 10% jokingly say uh, what I said about free throws is the more you do those end of game situations, the more you fail, the less confidence they have in that <laughs> you have to do those things. Um, but I think it's also, you know, we kind of have our actions in my head. I know our actions that we're trying to do, but, you know, and and maybe this this is probably the the zag to a lot of people's zig is you know sometimes it's I, I know kind of going into that game what you want to do but it's not like I have like these two actions that I'm always doing at the end of a game you know there's a I, we spend a lot of times thinking about matchups thinking about game flow and what I thought going into the game and who we thought might have shot that shot is is sometimes going to be different at the end of the game we'll do a lot of stuff where. Um, you know, we'll simulate the last three or four minutes of a game. You know, we do uh, the the whole tournament, I guess, the the tournament in the last few years, uh, doing the Elam ending uh, at the end of mm. at the end of uh, or at the end of games in the summer tournaments. We'll do that a lot in practice and just different ways that we can kind of simulate the end of a game situation uh, with that. Now, if we do the Elam ending, maybe there isn't a time component to that. 
Um, so I think we'll do some scrimmage actions where that happens, but not as much as maybe we used to. Uh, all right, eight seconds on the clock. This is the play. Because I just think there's a lot of different variables that go into that game. What you run with three seconds, what you run with eight are going to be different. You know, if it's the if they've never been in that situation in practice, then yeah, you're not doing your job very well. Um, but I think you have to you have to work on those other things. And I think sometimes too, as young coaches, you want to perfect that and spend so much time on that. And then the joke is, well, maybe if you didn't spend so much time on those things, you wouldn't need those things. You know, if you can do the other things well and win games by eight to 10 points, you won't need those last second plays uh, as much. And again, I mean, I'm somewhat joking with that because I think it is important, but I think you can overconsume yourself as a coach getting into those ATOs and end of game situations and, and, and too much time on that. I haven't done this yet, but I'm thinking about doing this. Like, how, how can I incorporate those things and make those things things that we're already doing? It seems like some, sometimes we segment like, OK, here's and it has nothing to do with any other part of our offense or any other part of our defense. And so it's almost like it's it is special. And then it can almost like freak them out once the game comes, because it's, it's they're like, oh, no. All right. Here we have to execute this. How can I do the things that we're already doing? Because to your point. You know, how much time are you actually going to spend on this? And we're not we're never going to give it the attention that it needs for what we think it calls for in a game, because it's not a big deal. Right. Unless we're in the last three seconds of a game and we're down by two points, then all of a sudden it's a big deal. And we're like, I should have spent 90 percent of my practice working on this. It's like, no, that's you probably shouldn't have. In the Kid, kids stores got to make the shot, you know, and, and there's just a lot of other things that go into it. I, I will say this, that, you know, I think if you do enough, you know, we'll do stuff where it's just, Hey, we're going to play a five minute quarter. We're going to play a 10 minute quarter. And we're going to treat this as the fourth quarter. Or, hey, um, you know, blue, you're down three with three minutes, three minutes left. And I think all of a sudden that gives them a little bit more ownership as opposed to, well, coach, you already told me, you know, all of a sudden you're creating this situation. We were down three with eight seconds. Yes. There's some competitiveness to it, but it's like, they think they're playing with house money because they didn't, they didn't do anything to get down three. Whereas, you know, they, they play and it's a tie game with three minutes left. And now you're just playing you know, that's if they're down three, it's because of something maybe we did wrong uh, with that. I think the more you scrimmage, the more you do the five on five stuff. Like you said, those situations are going to present themselves in a practice. All right. Last big thing here. Biggest piece of advice that you would give to the first or second year version of yourself in regards to practice planning. Oh, boy. Um, don't don't try to control everything. You know, and I think that's something maybe we talked about earlier of you know, that whole justifying your existence or trying to puff out your chest and say, I'm the head coach, I'm the boss. Like, you've got to listen to your players. You know, that's going to give them ownership, you know, whether it's a scouting report and saying, you know, I don't know, do you want to go over or under? Or do you want to tag this? Do you want to do all of that? I, I think those things, I, I think it shows power and maybe powers that it shows confidence, you know, and instead of thinking that you know everything, you know, I think there's, people are so quick to have an answer for stuff. And it's okay to say, I don't know, or it's okay to say, what do you think? You know, and I think sometimes when you, or even to your staff, you know, you let them talk first instead of telling them what you think. And then all of a sudden there's that bias and oh, I don't want to go against him or somebody's already said this, let them free think, let your kids free think a little bit. And, you know, probably another way of saying you got to, you, you have to be okay with the chaos, you know, and, and don't feel like you're not doing your job because you feel overwhelmed. Don't feel like you're not doing your job because things get out of control. Those things are going to happen in a game. So it's best that they happen in practice as well. It's Coach Aaron Russell, head coach for the Richmond Spiders. Coach, really appreciate you making time to come on the show. No, I've enjoyed this. Thanks so much.